Are you a student? Maybe a med student? A student who's interested in being an EM stud? Let's just say you decided you wanted to pursue EM. And where do I start, you ask? What am I supposed to do? Am I even competitive? What's different about the EM application process? These are all good questions. And today, we've got some folks who've put together a one-stop shop to help you become an EM stud. Stud Podcast, and thanks, Scott, for that uh, dramatic intro. Anyway, on to our guests, Dr. Alexis Pelletier-Bouie. How have you been? I'm doing great. Well, welcome. Tell us some more about yourself. So I am the Assistant Program Director and Co-Clerkship Director at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University in Camden, New Jersey. I am also the immediate past chair for the Advising Students Committee in Emergency Medicine, which is a committee of the Council of Residency Directors in Emergency Medicine. And I'm the Associate Editor for the book that we'll be talking about today. Well, fantastic. Thanks for coming on our show. We've also got uh, Dr. Emily Hillman. So thank you. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hillman. We've had you on before, so welcome back. Yeah, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Tell us more about your role. So I am the Assistant Program Director and Clerkship Director at the University of Missouri Kansas City School of Medicine and Truman Medical Center. And like Alexis, I am a former chair of the CORE Student Advising Task Force and the Associate Editor for the book. Well, ladies, welcome to the podcast. We're really uh, thankful that you've taken time out of your busy schedules to come and tell us about this important resource. And Nate, uh, because we're talking about the new student advising guide from EMRA and CORD, uh, I'm really excited about this. Yeah, me too, Scott. Not only does this represent a collaborative effort between EMRA and CORD, you know, we've really needed something like this for a while. I think across EM, we've always had a bit of a challenge providing consistent evidence-based advice to all of our students across the country. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. All right, so the book's title is The Emra and Cord Student Advising Guide, an Evidence-Based Approach to Matching in Emergency Medicine. Well, that says it all. And tell us about kind of where this began and who the uh, past and current authors are. Yeah, so this began actually, I believe, as an idea from Zach Giroux, who at the time was president of EMRA, their Emergency Medicine Residents Association. And EMRA was looking at uh, possibly revising their current medical student survival guide. And instead, he wanted to take it into a little bit of a different direction and really look at an evidence-based approach to advising in emergency medicine and to applying in emergency medicine. And so he's been a longtime member of our group, as well as the president of EMRA. And so he thought it would be great for us to join forces together and work on this project together. So that's really where it came from. Um, and we've worked a lot with EMRA over the years. So it just was kind of a natural process to work together to create this book. Yeah. And Zach uh, did great being our fearless leader, uh, serving as the editor-in-chief. Um, and he's currently finishing his administrative fellowship at the University of Chicago. We were lucky enough to work with a lot of the Ask Him leadership in writing this book. Um, so we had five associate editors uh, that were that are all recent or former 
ASCOM chairs or vice chairs, and you've already let, met Alexis and myself. We got to work with Adam Kellogg, who's the assistant program director at the University of Massachusetts Bay State Health. Also, Dr. Lucienne Lutfi Clayton, the assistant program director at University of Massachusetts Bay State Health. And then lastly, Dr. Jamie Chandro. She serves as clerkship director at the University of Washington. That is definitely an impressive list. And I understand you also had some students work on this as well? Yeah, so actually each chapter in the book is written by one medical student from Emmer's Medical Student Council. And they essentially served as the end user to make sure we were answering what the, what the students really wanted to see in the book. We also had a resident for each chapter who was either involved in EMRA or ASCOM, And one to two faculty members uh, from ASCOM were also in each chapter. Then we also had special applicant population editors who wrote targeted tips for applicants where traditional advice may not apply to them. So Zach Giroux, who's a friend of the podcast, of course, Emra, Cord, ASCIM, all came together and said, hey, let's put together this advising guide, but, uh, but why now? Yeah, so um, going back to why we decided to write this book and why we decided to collaborate uh, was because in 2017, in the fall of 2017, Emra actually um, performed a survey of about 200 EM-bound third and fourth year medical students. And at that time, only about 40% of those students were aware of our ASCOM resources. Uh, those who were aware found them to be amongst the most highly reliable resources out of 15 resources that were listed, um, but unfortunately not that many people were aware of our resources. So this really highlighted the importance of collaboration with some more well-known names to students like Emra to make sure we were getting our resources into the hands of those who need them. So again, we were ecstatic when Zach approached us on behalf of Emra about collaborating on this book. Gotcha. Where does all this uh, data come from? I mean, where's the evidence? So that's a great question. And Alexis mentioned earlier that the vision for this book was really a focus on evidence-based advice, which we are all really passionate about and something that really brought us together. So we merged the ASCOM consensus-based recommendations with available literature. So we use published data to support recommendations. Most of this data comes from the NRMP match data, the NRMP program director surveys, the, and AAMC data. But we also include many peer-reviewed journal articles as necessary to fill in the gaps. And in places where data does not exist, through ASCOM, we've created our own surveys to create this data. So particularly with regard to some of the hot topic issues, such as how many slows to obtain, how many applications to submit, and how many away rotations to go on. We've also tried to create some data where very little exists for special applicant population groups which we want to discuss as well. Wow. So, I mean, that's impressive. This is really the most up-to-date evidence we're going to get. This is from formal published articles, and it's also from some internal surveys that we've conducted that, I mean, a lot of these may not be fully published and out for consumption in the medical literature. So, I mean, this is really about as high a level as we can get and great for the general uh, EM applicant, I can imagine. Now, there are some special populations that we want to focus on. So tell us more about that. So the vast majority of the core content is aimed at the average EM applicant, like you said, uh, which is the far majority of those applying to EM. But we also used uh, special population editors to identify where recommendations in the book might differ for key groups of students. Yeah, so a lot of the special applicant population recommendations were covered in a prior podcast, um, which 
Caitlin Treppel and uh, Linda Katirji were on. Um, so we won't go into the details too much for each of the different populations, but basically a special population is any applicant that differs in a way that traditional advice may not apply to them. So we're talking about IMGs, osteopathic students, those pursuing the military or couples match, reapplicants into emergency medicine, those at risk for not matching, orphan applicants, or also known as those without a home residency program, uh, underrepresented applicants in emergency medicine, dual accreditation applicants, so those applying to EM, IM, EM, FM, et cetera, and latecomers to emergency medicine. So really a, a whole um, a whole variety of applicants where things may differ a little bit. We have some targeted tips for each of these populations. And a lot of that special applicant advice is pretty succinct. So in our online version of the book, we're going to be linking back to our original applying guides, which are on our ASCOM website for each of these special applicant populations. So if you fall into one of these categories and uh, want a little extra information than what the book provides, definitely go to our website for some more information. So as of today, though, while we're recording this episode, this, this book isn't even released yet. It's not even available. So in light of that, can you give us a little preview about um, kind of the, the basic makeup of the book? Uh, so there's 12 chapters covering everything from choosing a career in EM to what to do in your preclinical years all the way through an EM match. We try to break it up into easy to digest chapters that you can reference as you go. Um, you can read it all at once or just as you go along through medical school. So students don't feel the need to necessarily read the whole thing in one sitting. All right, great. Well, let's let's take a deep dive into these uh, 12 chapters and we'll give kind of a biopsy about what students can expect to find. And then we'll uh, hopefully have students directed towards the actual resources and then they can take a deeper dive on their own time. So chapter one is choosing emergency medicine. Kind of speaks for itself, but tell us what we're going on in this chapter. So this chapter is the first chapter, obviously, and really about the background of emergency medicine. This is for those who may be earlier in their career trying to decide if EM is for them, but even for those who know um, that they want to pursue emergency medicine, this chapter also covers some information about fellowships, career options, et cetera, after residency. Okay, great. And that's that's a good jumping in place. I mean, people obviously need to know that this is the right specialty for them and what options are there. Um, all right. Well, next, chapter two is talking about the preclinical years. Those are really important as we move forward. It's not just a third or fourth year decision. So uh, tell us more about the preclinical years. So this chapter is kind of another stand back big picture view. We really talk about how to best focus and prioritize your time during those years. We really emphasize the importance of finding a mentor and how to do that. We also emphasize solid preclinical coursework is really important to build a foundation to propel students forward during their clinical rotations and also enable you as a student to perform well in step one. Mm, yeah, those are, those are some critical steps. I mean, without that foundation, it's gonna be tough to really become an EM stud. Um, chapter three is is important. That's your third year in planning for fourth. I know we've done some prior episodes like, what is it, uh, running third year like a boss. So you may yeah. be interested in those episodes. But let's talk about what highlights we can expect from chapter three. Yeah, so we really like to just delve here into scheduling options to maximize the clinical years, including the timing of rotations to guarantee an early slow when to take step two, how to ideally plan your interview time. And it seems like a lot, but we do it pretty concisely. And it serves again as a good overview chapter to get an idea of timelines in the final two years, because in the subsequent chapters, we really take 
you as a student into the deep dive. Yeah, I mean, those are some really deep opportunities. I mean, that's probably a very meaty type of a chapter. There's a lot of really important questions and concepts that are important to discuss. Mm. So next is chapter four, finding your fit and learning the landscape of EM. You know, I'm actually very glad that there's a dedicated chapter for this. We get asked all the time, which programs are the good ones? Which ones are competitive? Where should I apply? And I think it's more of a personal question, really. You know, which program is the right for each student? Which one just sort of fits? What do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. I think this is a really great chapter because one of our big focuses throughout the book is really helping students to apply smarter and not harder. So learning what may be the best type of program for them and targeting their applications towards those types of programs. So what this chapter is covering is what are the different types of residency programs? Um, For example, um, geographically, what do they have to offer? What are the type of training environments like community, university, county? etc. Also the differences between three-year programs and four-year programs, the amount of time on off-service rotations in a three versus four-year program, um, what you'll get with different ED patient volumes, um, and other other things that are important or that students consistently rank as important when evaluating an EM residency program. So we really go over all of these things uh, to help an applicant realize what may be the best fit for them so that when they are searching for actual programs, they can target their applications appropriately. Good stuff. Now, on to Chapter 5, Applying for Away Rotations. Now, this is really where it starts to get into the nitty-gritty And this is especially relevant this time of year when students are applying for away rotations as we speak. Yeah, so this is an area that we're really focusing on more and more. We know that a lot of students come to us as advisors with questions surrounding this period, and I think this is where we start to interact with our advisee a lot. So we really tried to get into some nitty gritty here and delve into, you know, how many away rotations do I need? where do I rotate? How do I find these rotations? And then how do I apply to them? We even review some of the data on the timelines for when programs generally offer their rotations. Um, And then we really getting into the intricacies there to try to help lessen the stress of this process um, by making the data apparent and really kind of providing students a step-by-step guide. So that way we can also resolve some misconceptions too and help students really get that away rotation lined up. Yeah, and that's really what this is about is really removing misconceptions, providing a transparent set of evidence and processes that can help people succeed. So this is going to really land well. Okay, chapter six, close to my heart. Crush your EM clerkships and secure your slows. I love the title there. Powerful. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, Uh, slow. So I know you guys have talked about that a lot many times on the podcast. And so we definitely dedicated a chapter to this. So, you know, now students can just read the book and they won't have to listen to your podcast, right? (laughs) That's not a bad idea. I'd have so much more free time. So uh, we really want to get in to in this chapter on really how to crush your rotations to obtain that most important piece of the application, the slow. So the, the slow is what the program directors regularly rate as the most important factor in determining who to interview for residency. So we provide clinical resources for the student, tips on presenting. We introduce the readers to the slow in more detail. There's actually some images that demonstrate the slow within the chapter so students really know exactly what's being written about them. 
Yeah, I, I think that's, again, another meaty chapter and one close to our hearts. So I'd really be interested to see what the, uh, the wisdom is on how to secure those clerkships and uh, or secure the slows and crush your clerkships. Let's see. The next chapter is uh, building your ERAS application, uh, which can be a monster and it's pretty confusing. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So this chapter is getting into the nitty gritty details, including specific timelines for everything along the way in applying for an emergency medicine residency program, including the SVI, how to shine on the SVI, how to write a great personal statement, what letters of recommendation you should include in your application, which letters may hold more weight than others, um, and Again, all those little details along the way. So if you have any questions about anything along the lines of ERAS and putting things into the system um, and what you should be putting in there, it's all in that chapter. All right. And next is Chapter 8, Understanding Your Competitiveness, Apply Smarter, Not Harder. So, so important. And really at the the center of this over-application issue that we're seeing year after year. Yeah, so this is really the money chapter. And if there's really only one chapter that students read in this book, we hope it's this one. Uh, We all know that the number of applications per applicant is on the rise and unnecessarily. Students regularly state that they don't know how to assess their own competitiveness, which is really a large driving factor in the increase in applications. So in this chapter, we discuss how you can determine your competitiveness. And we show using real data that the vast majority of applicants are actually falling in the competitive field. And therefore, the competitive applicants, which again are the vast majority of applicants, do not need to be applying to 40, 50, 60 plus programs. We're up to the high 50s, even this past um, application cycle per applicant. So definitely above where we need to be students. Please don't apply to that many programs um, unless you've met with an experienced advisor who tells you that you really need to apply to that many programs. But again, we use all the data that's out there, um, including the AMC's Apply Smart data, to really help you see um, how many programs you should be applying to based on your stats, based on different aspects of the application. Um, Obviously, this can never uh, replace an actual experienced advisor, but if you're getting that that information from this book and an advisor. We hope that with at least two, you know, reliable sources telling you you don't need to apply to this many programs that um, that you will start listening and hopefully save some money and save some time and energy. Yeah, and, and anxiety. I mean, exactly. I feel like one of the biggest sources of anxiety is the students are going to social media networks and finding out how many applications people are filling out and it's just a self uh, providing prophecy where it's just like more and more and more and more and anxiety so this is the antidote uh, for student anxiety on how many programs to apply to <laughs> using data i love it i love it so next is chapter nine interview season logistics which is my own personal favorite chapter for no reason so what are we talking about here Yeah, so this chapter talks specifically about the whole interview season, how to plan out your interview season. Um, Starts with talking about how important our interviews, covers how many interviews you should actually go on, how you should schedule them. It covers the logistics of actually planning your interviews, including etiquette for accepting and canceling interviews, um, ways that you should maybe schedule um, your your fourth year schedule to kind of help along with the interview interview season. Um, So it 
it gets more into the planning of the interview season. Whereas the next chapter, chapter 10, making the most of interview day, gets into more of the details of the actual interview day and tips on how to shine um, and also make sure that you're getting the information that you need to make your rank list. Mm. Uh, again, more important chapters. This is good. This is good. We're, we're winding down here, but we're saving the best for last. So let's see. Chapter 11, preparing and submitting your rank list. How do you rank? So I know for many students, they can't even imagine getting to this step, but it comes faster than what you think it does. Mm -hmm. So we really, again, use data to guide us here. Uh, We give students some tips on how to construct your match list and the logistics of submitting it online. And then we do answer the question, how many programs should you rank? Uh, And again, we we pull that data to help provide students with that information. Okay. And I I even don't even want to touch chapter 12 here, but if you've read chapters one through 11, you shouldn't need to read this, right? Because you've (laughs) done the right things, you've assessed your competitive nature, and this is like a lightning striking you point. If you've gotten through chapters one through 11, chapter 12, I don't even want to say it, but what if I don't match? Yeah, I understand. You know, unfortunately, uh, it's inevitable that some students will read this chapter. The far, far majority do not. So that's great. And students might be wondering, well, you know, how does this happen? And so fortunately, if you if you do read the whole book, we'll guide you through, you know, what makes you an at-risk student. And if you are a student at risk for not matching, you should read this chapter before the match, uh, really in, you know, in your third year, early fourth year to come up with potential post-match strategies in case you don't match. And if you're still not sure if you fall into this category, please look at our at-risk applying guide on our Ask a Medical Student Resources website. In this chapter, we cover what PDs would prefer to see in the year following the non-match, whether it's soaping into another specialty and reapplying to EM, extending medical school, pursuing research, etc. But we really want to, yes, you're right, prevent this from happening. And I think our resources in this book will assist students in avoiding this. Definitely, definitely. And again, not a scenario that applies to the vast majority of students out there. All right. So when can our EM studs expect to have access to this wonderful holy grail of student advising? So we're told that it should be up on the website sometime today, actually, for a soft rollout. Um, So by the time this is actually posted on the EM Stud podcast, hopefully the online version will be out. The printed copies, on the other hand, um, will be released at the Spring MRI Medical Student Symposium in the first week of May. And we'll be releasing about 4,000 copies a year. Um, And each uh, EMRA member will be receiving a print copy in their membership kit, um, which is about 4,000, again, 4,000 copies a year. So we're excited about that. Wow, that's awesome. So so included in the EMRA membership. And what about for the rest of us? Like, what, what would they charge Scott? You know, I mean, I would expect to pay maybe $500 or maybe $200. You know, Scott, I'll, I'll, I'll sell you a copy. Yeah, so <laughs> it's it'll be up on the Emmer website for free. Free? Um, so for free. <laughs> um, now students that are an Emra member can get a actual hard copy of the text. Uh, but the information will be on the World Wide Web. And again, our another plug for our CORD Ask Him resources too, which are visible on the CORD website uh, under committees on the, and then you can 
find the Advising Students Committee. We have a whole host of resources there that are free as well. Wow, that is great. So again, that website is www.cordem, that's C-O-R-D-E-M.org slash ASCEM, A-S-C-E-M. Oh my goodness. So this has been a tremendous body of work, and I am so thankful that you and so many others have, have put together what an amazing document. Again, I think this is the antidote for student anxiety about the match. It's a direction and a beacon and a light post to truth and data. And so thank you so much for all of your important work on this. Thank you. Thank you for having us. If we want to get in touch with you guys, do you have a Twitter handle or email or will you have signed copies of the book or something like that? Yeah, so you can reach me on Twitter at Pelletier Bowie, P-E-L-L-E-T-I-E-R-B-U-I. So just my last name. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the EM Stud podcast. Okay, so we will definitely put a link in the show notes on the EM Stud podcast. On behalf of my colleague, ER Dr. Nate, who is tending to his sick infant right now, we wish you well in applying to emergency medicine, and we hope that this helps you become an EM Stud. In the meantime, rotate well, my friends. Scott, no, it's it. That's okay. It's the other. It's the other button. Well, why don't we? Do, oh, oh. Oh, Nate, you're back. Come on, we just finished. Come on. Thanks, Scott. I'll, I'll edit out the crying later. Both mine and the baby's. Okay, and that's a, that's a wrap. <laughs>